So we're going to continue this morning in the message series that we've been in for the last several weeks or months, which is Welcome Holy Spirit. This has been an amazing series, just going back to the core of just who we are as Christians and how we can operate as Christians, um, and just the, the rich depth that we've been able to, to get from this. So today we're going to continue in that, that series, and it's this, the theme today is Spirit-Filled Church. And I go back to a conversation I was having with Pastor Jeff and John Brooker. John Brooker is part of our uh, teaching team um, that we have here at the church, and he spoke during the summer. Um, And I was just saying, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how do I talk about the Spirit-filled church? And John Brooker looked there and he said, it's real easy. A Spirit-filled church is a church that is full of people that are filled with the Spirit. Thank you for coming this morning. Grab a donut, grab a donut on your way out, and give someone a holy hug. I wished it was that simple. And in a sense, it is. But there's some more, more to it than just that. And as I was thinking about this, the best scripture I could come up with is back in Acts 2. And this verse is 41 through 47. And this is just a description of when the church started. This is when they were having church and they've, it's not like, well, we started a church and we just, we're going to meet this Sunday in today's time. This was where we're going to have church this Sunday and we have no idea what it looks like because we've never had church before. We, we don't know what we're supposed to do. And this is where you get the picture of what a spirit-filled church looks like because that's all they had. They had the spirit. And it was guiding them and leading them and just giving them the direction that they were supposed to go in. And they were just embracing it. So if you'll stay seated while I read the scripture, and then we'll stand at the end um, as we pray. But it's Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And this is just following just this great message that was given under the influence of the Spirit and their reactions to that. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why don't you stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you for the richness of the truths that are in there. 
And I just pray this morning as we dig into this theory and this thought of the spirit-filled church and what it should look like, that we're able to break down any walls that we have. We're able to just open our hearts to what it is you have for each one of us individually. I just pray that your presence be here in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So what does a spirit-filled church look like? We've talked about this sort of over the summer. And in just different ways, how if you go to one church, they, they worship one way. You go to another church, they, they sort of work and live in the Holy Spirit in a different way. And we give labels to it, and we just try to d- define what, a spirit, what the Spirit is and what the Spirit-filled church is. And so we have this, we groups that we call, oh, those, those charismatics. Oh, but the truth is, we're probably all somewhat charismatic, we just give a label because we see this one thing, so we label them, and we label all oh, the Pentecostals. Well, once again, we're sort of all part of that, but we just give labels to things. So what a spirit-filled church is, is something that it operates differently in different places. So what you have to do is you have to look at the scriptures of what the guidelines are, because what a truly spirit-filled church is, is a church that is working in the gifting that God has given it and letting the Spirit work through them. So at one church, the gifts that God has given them and how they're working and how they're, they're showing those will be different than another church that God has gifted them differently. But the thing in common is, is they're all working within the gifts and the blessings that God has given them, which makes them a Spirit-filled church. But we want to look at what the sort of the guidelines is, the blueprint. And we find that in Acts 2, where it says this is what a, what's going on at this church that the Spirit is leading. So as we look at this, we find that a Spirit-filled church draws people. People are attracted. People are curious. People, we've got to go and see what's going on. You'll hear this when there's just outbreaks of revivals. I remember years ago, there was an outbreak of a revival, and we were hundreds of miles away from it. And our pastor said, you know, we have to go. We just have to go. And that's, that's where the Spirit-filled church is working, the fact that it draws people. And the draw is because of the dynamic and the proper teaching of the word. And I want to say that again because I need to be very, it it is the dynamic and proper teaching of the word. Because in a spirit-filled church, the word will be taught properly. If we go back just a little bit before the verses um, that we read this morning, Acts 2, verses 37, 38, and it's talking about the message, the message that the pastor brought. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. When they heard this, they were cut 
to the heart. When you hear the word of God, it changes you. It affects you. It does something to you that demands a response. And that's what we see at the end of it. These people ran up and they go, brothers. And and I love that they use that term brothers. These guys are new to the church. They just showed up because everyone, we got to go. And at the end, they felt such a bond to to these people that they didn't go, hey man that I've never met before or hey preacher guy. No, they go up and they go brother, which is brother, sister. We're family. Because that's what church is, we're family. Hey brothers, what do we do? And the answer will always be repent and ask forgiveness for your sins. And that's what's going on here. And as they turned their lives over to Christ, they were added to the body of believers. 3,000 people on one Sunday. Can you imagine that? Not only do we have church today, but we have 3,000 visitors and they gave their hearts to Christ. And then it goes on to say later that after this, every Sunday people were being added to the church because of the draw of the word. A spirit-filled church is devoted to the teaching of the word. Because a believer, the believers are hungry for the word. We want to hear it. We want to dig into it. We want to find out what it's saying. We want to find out what it is we're supposed to be doing and how the word can lead us. And they desire to hear the truth of the gospel. A spirit-filled church is devoted to fellowship. Thus the name of the church. Faith, because we are here to grow in our faith. We're here because faith fellowship is a, it was the beginning, was a plant of faith. Fellowship. Not because it just sounds good with faith. Okay, faith and fellowship, we've got that F and the F, and then we add C for a church. Doesn't that sound really cool? No. We're here by faith and as we work and live in our faith, we're going to fellowship together. And we're going to see that as we go into the teaching. Fellowship. They fellowship together because there's a desire to spend time with other believers. Because that's where you get your strength. Because that's where you get your grounding. Because that's where you need to be when you were going through a time of need is among other believers that can lift you up. Because if you're out in the world and you're going through a tough time and you talk to some people and go, oh, I'm going through this horrible time, I can guarantee you the counsel you're going to get is not going to work. But if you're among believers, not only will they give you godly counsel, they'll pray for you. You see, believers want to eat meals, share their lives, and spend time together praying for each other. And it says here, and day by day, breaking bread in their homes. 
That's called small group. That's what they were doing. They didn't know to call it small group because that's the thing of whatever century it was. They just go over to everyone's house and break bread and eat a meal together, pray for each other, and talk about all these amazing things that God is doing at the church. The Spirit-filled church has the heart to care one for another. You see, they want to be cared for. They want to care for those that need to be taken care of. We try to do that. One simple way that we do it, which is not, which is one of the least of the ways that we do it, because the major way that we do it, most people don't even see. But through our food pantry, we compassionately and we carefully give to people every Tuesday. And we make sure that we talk to them. We make sure that we respect them. We make sure that when they come here, they're not, they don't feel put out or that they're a bother. We take time. We pray with them. And we do that, you see, because people in a spirit-filled church are willing to sacrificially give. Now, that giving looks a lot of different ways. It could mean that when you went to the grocery store, you picked up a couple of extra cans of something and brought it and put it in the basket. We need you to do that. Why? Because when people come, we've got to have something to give them. It may be because some of you are financially giving funds so that the people that head up our food pantry, when they go out to go shopping, they can make sure that we've got the items that we need. And we don't talk about that a lot, but our food pantry, the people that support it and give to it, they lift it up. They support it. It isn't a drain on the church because people care, so they sacrificially give. But the way I really see it here in Faith Fellowship is one of the pastors or someone on staff will get a phone call and go, hey, God's just put this on my heart and I want to give something. Is there someone that has a need? Is there something that needs to be taken care of? And we go, oh, absolutely. And it never fails. Either we have someone that we've been praying for. God, send us resources. Send us a blessing so that we can help this person. And the phone rings. Or we get it and we go, God, what are we supposed to do with that? And the phone rings. And that's what we don't see here, is all of that working in the background where people are ministered to in the name of Jesus, not in the name of a person. Because we don't tell them, hey, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so gave you this gift. No, we go, Jesus met your need. So here, give thanks to him. A spirit-filled church is a place where God's presence abides and his works are evident. (coughs) See, you hear stories at a spirit-filled church of amazing things that God has done. You see miraculous changes in people's lives. You just walk around and you go, "I, I, I can't believe this. Did you see Ben the other day? He wanted to pray for someone. I didn't even know that Ben knew the word prayer. And now he's out praying for people. Why? Because God 
changed him. And that's what's happening here. You see the miraculous changes in people's lives. You feel the presence of God as you worship, as you fellowship together. But in the end, a spirit-filled church, however, is not perfect. As much as we want to believe that they are. As much as we go, well, a true spirit-filled church is just, they're perfect. They're not. And we see it here in Acts 6. We just read about this church that's just exploding. It would be on the cover of Christianity today as the church to be a part of. Well, four chapters later, the very first scripture Now in these days when the disciples, they're still increasing. When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Hey guys, I know you're busy having church, but you're uh, sort of forgetting about our widows over here. You're sort of showing favoritism. So see, it's it's not perfect. Why? Because disagreements and strife will always arise in any place where us humans get together. It's who we are, and it's what we bring to the table. We're just going to have a problem. You see, a spirit-filled church, yes, is a church full of people, and I'll say being filled with the Spirit. Even though we have the Spirit in us, we're maturing. We're maturing daily in our walk with Him. But we sort of got to need to know what that looks like. So a Spirit-filled church is a church that has Spirit-filled believers. So now we got to figure out what does a Spirit-filled believer look like. And once again, there's a blueprint That sort of shows us that. Because the spirit-filled church is made up of spirit-filled believers who are daily growing in their walk and faith. A spirit-filled believer exhibits the fruit of the spirit in their daily lives. We have talked about this for weeks about the fruit of the spirit. Galatians tells us 5, 22 through 24, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I love the section where it says the fruit that against such there is no law. Because if you're doing these things, it's sort of like you just walk out there and go, oh my goodness, Kurt was happy today. We need to write a law against that. No, if you're doing right, we're not going to write a law against that. Because you're doing the right thing. The problem is we have to write laws because we do the wrong things. The things that we're not supposed to do. So it brings us to the big question is how do we do this? How do I exhibit the fruit of the spirit in my life? And we find that blueprint in Ephesians. 
And that's in chapter 5, and there's two sections of Scripture. There's a break in the middle that I'm not going to read. But Ephesians 1 through 2 is the beginning of it. And it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Imitators of God. Just like that song we sang this morning. I will echo the victory in my life. I will echo the authority of God in my life. I'm going to try to do what he would do. I'm going to imitate the things that I think he would want to happen. So if you start there, the best thing you can do is find the thing that is right and imitate it until you figure the rest out. So you imitate God, and we walk in love, and that's what's going to guide you. But the real blueprint comes in when you get to verse 18 in Ephesians 5, and it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, here's what you're doing. You're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're submitting to another out, to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's your blueprint. So when you look at that, what are the most important parts of these scriptures? We've talked about being the imitator of God and and walking in love. It's a good start. But if you'll notice, I underlined all the words that end with ing. Addressing, singing, giving, submitting. And we're going to have a little English lesson here. Do you understand? I did not enjoy English in school or in college at all. And I actually had someone that majored in English in college that told me last night that I did a pretty good job in explaining this. And I put it in the notes so that you would have it to take home so in case you forget. And then there will be a test at the end about the English and how that goes. So these words, the submitting and all of that, are expressed as participles. Doesn't that make me sound educated? They're participles. Well, in our English lesson, a participle is a, wor- is a word that is formed from a verb and used as an adjective. A verb is a word that's used to describe an action. And an adjective is a word or a phrase naming an attribute. So we've taken those two together, put them together, and it's a participle. So what I call this is, is the ing teaching. So we're going to follow Rabbi Ing. And his teachings and his philosophies. No, it's just the ings make the difference in here. And see, Paul tells us that actions that should be part of a spirit-filled life are. That we should, he says, address. Well, the Greek for that is the way we speak, the way we talk. That's what addressing is. Address means how we speak to one another. And I need to add to that how we speak about one another. 
sing, how we worship, give thanks. And all of you are going, oh, thankfully there's the word thanks after that because we know that Pastor Paul's gonna talk about giving. No, this is give thanks, has nothing to do with giving money. I don't even go there today. And then submit, and give thanks is our attitude toward life. And then submit is our mindset in our service. So he turns these words into an attribute by adding the word ing to each one of them. And what is the ing teaching, the way that I would describe it, is that these are things that we do not because it's written down and we have to do it. No, it's not. We do it because it was written down so we should do it. No, we do it because it is a part of who we are becoming as a spirit-filled Christian. I'm doing it because God is working in my life and changing me every single day. So I do these things. Not because I want to. I do them because God calls me to do it. And I have a desire to do it. So addressing one another. You look at Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As I go through this teaching, I need you all to understand, I'm not speaking to any of you. I'm not speaking at you. I'm actually looking in a mirror, looking at myself, speaking to myself. Because these are things that we all struggle with on a daily basis. How do I speak to one another respectfully and honorably every day in the way that I should? As a spirit-filled Christian, that's what I've got to do. You see, we temper our speech. And what I mean by temper our speech is we as humans get emotional. And when there's an offense, when there's something that happens, we get emotion. And when we get emotion, we bring that to the table. Well, we need to temper our speech and take our emotions out of what we say. And we speak in a way that honors the Lord. The best way I can describe that is when you're having a conversation, think to yourself, if Jesus was sitting right there beside me, would I be having this conversation right now? Would I be talking about so-and-so right now the way that I'm talking about them? Just keep that in mind in your conversations. Because yes, we have to have tough conversations, but we need to have them in a way that honors the Lord. The next one, the next ing that he talks about is singing and making melody to the Lord. This is worship, is what he's talking about. How we, as spirit-filled believers, are to worship. Psalms 42.4 is a scripture that the psalmist is in deep despair. And you go, he's in deep despair. Why are you bringing that up now when we're talking about worship? Well, I'm doing it because look at his response here. He's saying, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What's he remembering? He's remembering how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping 
festival. <coughs> He's talking about worship. He's talking about leading people in worship. You see, as, as a spirit-filled Christian, we have a deep inner desire to worship. We can't wait to worship. We don't go up, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm, I hope I don't step on your feet, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, but if you have this deep inner desire to worship, it doesn't mean you're standing out there in the lobby and going, oh, that's the second song. I've got two more songs to go. I'm going to finish my conversation. No, it means when the first note of worship is struck, you go, oh, my goodness, I'm not in there yet. Why am I not there? You have this desire. There are churches, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it happens around this country. There are churches that when the first note of worship is struck, the doors are shut and locked. And they don't shut and lock the doors when worship starts because, oh my goodness, if you're not in here, you can't come in. No, they're shut and locked because the fire marshal has said the the room is full. So if you want to go to worship this morning, you have to go to the overflow room. Because there's a group of people that have a desire to worship. And they get here and they fight for their seats. So they can be there. That's what this is talking about. We worship deeply. Deeply. We just don't stand and sing the song. We worship. And sometimes worship doesn't mean you don't, you don't sometimes you're not even singing the song. You are just worshiping God. And letting the song just be the aroma that surrounds you as you worship him. You deeply worship. And it says that the psalmist, during this time of despair, he desires to worship. But what I love is, is he is describing worship and he says, what does he miss? He missed the festive spirit. This is worship he's talking about and he's comparing it to a party. This exciting, exuberant, festive time. And I was talking to uh, Jenna Marshall the other day and I told her, I said, I'm going to use you as an example. She's not here this morning. She was here last night. But when you see her worship, and I'm not trying to point her out. I'm not trying to give her props. I'm just trying to say, when I look at her and she's worshiping, she's worshiping. She doesn't care what's going on around her. You can have a group of 50 people walk by her and she's in the middle of worship and she doesn't care. She's in worship. You see, what he's talking about is a type of worship. When you look over at that, per- at that person, you look to your spouse and go, hey, honey, should we call 911? Because either that person has got the Holy Spirit all over them or they need an ambulance. And I'm sort of struggling with the difference here because they are so into it that they are worshiping God and they don't care about anything else. And the other thing about worship as your worship leaders always say, I want you to stand and what we, what we hear, and a lot of times is what it say, why don't you stand and sing as we enter into worship? 
Well, see, we're just making, we, we hear that as a function, okay, I'm supposed to stand, and then I'm going to sing. And that is worship. That is not what your worship leader is telling you. When you stand up, you are to stand up in worship, because they're leading us into worship, so we are to stand up in worship. And the best way I can describe that is to go back to an English lesson that I learned in college. This is English day today. And everyone's wondering, do we have a roof leak here that we need to, to deal with? No. And Brian over there, our maintenance person, is going, oh, thank goodness we don't have a, ma- a roof leak I've got to deal with this week. But this is what my, my English teacher taught me about the word in and into. So we have a trash can here. And it used to drive her crazy when people say, I'm going to throw trash in the trash can. And she goes, do you know what throwing trash in the trash can looks like? Throwing trash in the trash can looks like this. I'm throwing trash in the trash can. We throw trash into the trash can. So just imagine this is worship. This is worship, not trash, but this is worship. And when your worship leader says, stand up as we enter into worship, you are getting in worship. And you are worshiping. And oh my goodness, the bigger and deeper the can is, the better. And next week when Pastor Jeff gets back, everyone bring a trash can. And when Mike says, stand up and worship, step in your trash can. And Pastor Jeff will say, I'm never going out of town again. What did Pastor Paul do? But we stand up in worship. Because it's that important. Because see, worship is just not a placeholder in the service. Oh, We have to have an opening, and we have to have some songs, and then we have to have this, and then we get to the message. No. Worship is the main part. It's where you you get the plot. When you go to the movie and you go, oh, we're just missing the previews. If we get there, we'll get there, the movie will be like two minutes in, and we'll have missed nothing. Oh no, if you miss worship, you're going to be sitting there going for the rest of the service. What's going on here? What's going on here? And the person's going to look at you finally and say, look, you should have been here for worship because then you'd have figured it out. Leave me alone. I'm worshiping. If you miss worship, you're going to be left out and you're not going to know what's going on. You're just going to be lost the rest of the service. The next thing he talks about is giving thanks always and for everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We hear that scripture all the time. And I can guarantee you if you ask someone, do you remember that scripture that tells about give thanks all the time? Here's how they're going to read it to you. They're going to say, give thanks for all circumstances. That's how they see it. Well, let me give thanks for whatever circumstances I find. No, no, go back to the lesson. Give thanks in. Give thanks 
in the circumstance you're in. No matter what it is, no matter how challenging, no matter how hard, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how joyous, give thanks in all circumstances because God has you there for a reason. God has you there because that's where he needs you today. A spirit-filled believer is grateful for what they have and are anxious to be where God wants them to be. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, he, he wrote this out as he was lamenting. He says, every hour, yea, every moment has brought a favor upon its wings. Look downward and give thanks, for you are saved from hell. Look on the right and give thanks, for you are enriched with gracious gifts. Look on the left and give thanks, for you are shielded from deadly ills. Look above you and give thanks, for heaven awaits in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, And then back to the anchor here. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A spirit-filled believer finds contentment where God has them, not where they want God to put them. Oh, I'm just biding my time until God allows me to do this. Because that's the desire of my heart. No, a spirit-filled believer finds contentment in where God has them, not where they want God to put them. Our rejoicing is not based on circumstances. Because if it was based on circumstances, there may not be a lot of rejoicing. But it's based on God. And we give thanks in, back to the lesson on in, we give thanks in Every situation we find ourselves in, we don't only give thanks for the good situations we find ourselves in. And then we get to the last ing. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I got to this ing, I said, God, I'm I'm done at this point. I'm I'm done with the message. I'm going to find a way to close it right here. Because I'm not going any further. And me and God struggled with a while about this one. But the next thing is submitting to one another. You see, Paul didn't leave this one to last because he had no other place to put it. He put it last because it's the most difficult. And it's the most difficult and it's the anchor of all the other things. A spirit filled believer lives a life that is under submission. The Greek word that is used here is hupotasso. And that means to yield to one's admonition or advice. To yield, to cease to argue about, to relinquish, to just to give up and just yield. I don't like the first part of this definition because it talks about in the Greek military, 
It's a term meaning to arrange military under the command of a leader. It's a word there in that meaning that's used as you are under this authority. You are under the authority of. And I don't like that at all. But I love the non-military use of that word. There's a non-military use. When you use it and it's not in military, it is a voluntary attitude. Something that you willfully do, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. I was just reading a, a blog about this, and, and this is some of the things that, I, that was in there. And it, sa- it says, we come to a topic of vital importance in that it affects our relationships in the home, at church, and on the job. Yet it is a topic that generates a lot of friction and heat because the biblical viewpoint is about as diametrically opposed to that of the world as it could be. If you want to follow God in his word on this subject, you must consciously throw off the worldly mindset and decisively submit to what God's word plainly states. So what does a spirit-filled Christian look like? Well, this is what the blog goes on to say. So every spirit-filled Christian is a submissive Christian. You have submitted your life to the control of the spirit since God has ordained certain spheres of authority in which we are to submit. If we are submissive to the Holy Spirit, we will be submissive to these God-ordained authorities. That's tough. That's hard. But then I found another one that goes on and it, it says something that just, it grabbed me. And it says, although the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equally God in every respect to carry out the divine plan for the ages. We in agreement with that? We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're all equally God in every respect. It's what's taught up here. But listen to this. The Son submits to the Father. And the Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. And we'll see some of that as we keep going. Yet there is no rivalry or jealousy among the members of the Trinity, but rather perfect love and harmony. That's what this word submitting looks like. In our Christian lives, when we deal with this word submission, we struggle with it. But when we look at spirit-filled lives, many people live what's called a faux spirit-filled life. You know, I have faux blinds in my house. And I have a, a, a faux rug that's supposed to look like this really expensive rug, but it's, it's not. We live in a world where things are just fakes, imitations. And you see, we can fake our attitude when we address others and we speak in ways that just properly portrays the address, proper addressing of one another. Oh, Brother Jacob, how are you today? I am so blessed. I hope you are blessed also. That's how we do it. We just, 
just butter off our tongue, just everything is just wonderful. It's fake. We can appear to be engaged in worship and sing the praise songs because no one knows what's really going through our mind. But we look, we look the part, look every bit of the part. And we can act thankful as we go around life, convincing others that we are, oh, I am so blessed. Things are so amazing, and you are just falling apart inside. But we can fake all of those things. But the one thing that you cannot fake is joyful submission. You see, submission is not normal. It's not the way that we're geared. <coughs> it's not how we function in today's society of my opinion, my feelings, my whatever the word of the week is that goes along with that. Because in society, that's what it's all about is me and my. There's a scripture that just sort of I ran into just like a brick wall. I was just going through some things and dealing with some stuff. And this scripture just hit me. I even told God I wasn't going to read the scripture. And he says, well, you have to. And it kept showing up in my notes. And I says, no, I'm not going to read it. And it showed up in my notes. And so I guess I'm going to read it. It's out of the message version. It's not a, a, ver- a version of the Bible that I use a lot. But it's Hebrews 13, 17. And it says, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God.